Well, this is an exciting day, isn't it? A seriously exciting day. And not just a seriously exciting day, but an excitingly serious day. An excitingly serious day because we are marking the gracious gift of the risen Lord Jesus who was given to his church, prophets, apostles, pastor, teachers, and evangelists. That's what we're celebrating today. And the reason the risen Lord Jesus has given those word people gifts to his people is for two reasons. Number one, toddlers can't surf. Toddlers can't surf that Alistair is here to teach you the Bible so you won't be tossed to and fro by every wave and wind of deceit. And the second reason that the Lord Jesus has given these word gift people to his church is because Fernie Hill, the area of Fernie Hill, the city of Edinburgh, the nation of Scotland, and the whole world needs Fernie Hill to be the most God-glorifying church that it can possibly be. And so the Lord Jesus, in his sovereign kindness, has given to his church prophets, apostles, pastor, teachers, and evangelists. And that's what we're here celebrating and marking and hoping in today. And so it is a great privilege to be here. And I want us to look at this great story in Acts Chapter 18. Acts is obviously the second volume of Luke's magnum opus. He writes Luke's gospel and he writes um, the account of Acts. And he's really kind to us because he tells us why he's done it at the very beginning of the book of Acts. He's done it in order that Theophilus might have certainty about the things that the Lord Jesus has accomplished. To give us certainty. Why is certainty important? Because if we have certainty about Jesus, we'll have confidence in Jesus. And if we have confidence in Jesus, we'll be on the front foot as we live for him and speak of him. And so the whole gambit of Luke Acts is all about certainty. And my hope this morning is that you will have more certainty as you live together on mission For the Lord Jesus. The big idea I think is. In Acts 18. Be certain that Jesus is at work in the world. Be certain that he is. Because I dare say you spend most of your week. Thinking that he isn't. As you see chaos reigning. As you see confusion reigning. As you see people who want nothing to do with Jesus. And certainly nothing to do with his church. And so Luke writes Luke Acts to give us a Massive adrenaline shots that we would see the way things really are and that we would be certain that this Jesus is at work in the world. In Acts chapter 15, we have the Jerusalem Council that Barnabas and Paul had been on their first missionary journey and Gentiles had started believing the gospel and the church in Rome started to get a bit worried about that. But after that council, it's concluded that the grace of the Lord Jesus is enough and that the Gentiles are grafted into the church without having to become Jews first. And so in Acts chapter 16, they set out on a second missionary journey, except they don't. Because Paul has a massive Barney with Barney about John Mark and they decide to go their separate ways. And in the goodness of God, there's now two mission teams tearing up 
the Near East and the known world. And Paul recruits Silas. And they go to Lystra and they recruit Timothy. And Timothy undergoes the most painful induction the world has ever known. As Paul circumcises him on the spot. As a young man. And then they think, well, where are we going to go on this second missionary journey? And they push loads of doors, but they're all closed by Jesus himself. Until in Troas, Paul has the vision of the man from Macedonia. He says, come over and help us. And so the gospel has not only crossed the ethnic divide between Jew and Gentile, it's now crossed the continental divide between the Near East and Europe. And they arrive in Philippi, and you couldn't imagine tougher soil to start gospel mission in Europe than Philippi. A place more Roman than Rome. A place which must have seemed like sowing seed on the pavement. But the gospel takes root and bears fruit. Lydia's converted, the slave girl's converted, the jailer's converted. And Luke says that's only a snapshot of all that Jesus has been doing, because at the end they meet the brothers. And then they go to Thessalonica and Paul preaches the gospel and it takes root and there's a riot and they're kicked out of town after just a few weeks. Then they go to Berea and the gospel takes root and bears fruit, but rent a mob from Thessalonica come down and they're forced to leave Berea as well. Well, at least Paulus, Timothy and Silas stay behind. And so from Thessalonica, Paul goes to Athens. And Athens in the time was like the Oxford of the ancient world. And Paul gives a stunning defense of the gospel at the Areopagus. Like giving a viva on the gospel at the University of Greece. And if Athens was like the Oxford of the ancient world, then Corinth where we are today was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It was a place where anything goes as long as everything goes. A place of licentiousness. A place of immorality. It was a mercantile city. It was a melting pot. It was a place where everyone's opinion had credence. Strabo, the Roman historian, says there were 500 cultic prostitutes who served the temples by day and the city merchants by night. That's the kind of place that it was. And here's Paul, all alone, at the frontier of the gospel, feeling like a very small voice amidst the cacophony of Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians, he tells us exactly how he felt. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 3 says this, And when I was with you, when I came to you, it was in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Well, you would be, wouldn't you? Even today, if you had to do a one-week mission to Las Vegas, standing on the strip, handing out tracks, you'd be weak and fearful and trembling. So as we get into this story, I've got one aim. And I hope it's an aim that continues to reverberate as Alistair and Sabina continue to work amongst you. And it is that you would be very suspicious. A result of this sermon, I want you to be suspicious. But suspicious is only one direction. Suspicious of all that Jesus might be up to. 
And I wonder, are you a suspicious person naturally? Do you know when the, the email drops into your inbox and says you've won the lottery and you just need to send this money off to those people? Are you suspicious? Or maybe when your child or your grandchild says, I'm just going to do some colouring in my room, but I need to close the door. Are you suspicious? Are you a suspicious person? Well, I hope the result of today is that you will be suspicious. Very suspicious about all that Jesus might be up to in your life for his glory and in the life of your church for his glory. So I've got four points for you. Here's the first. Jesus plans ahead. Jesus plans ahead. Look with me at verses one to five. Here is Paul in a city that he's never been, weak, fearful and trembling. He knows no one in the city. And yet verse two, he finds a Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. One meeting and he's met the dynamic duo of the New Testament. And even more amazing than that, they have a spare room. They have a job in their tent making business. And so here's Paul going somewhere he's never been. He has one coffee in Cafe Nero with a guy called Aquila. And he has a job, a home, and a small group. At least a prayer triplet at this point. It's pretty good, isn't it? And Luke gives us more details about it. He fills us in on the backstory, And he's not doing that because he had a bit of space on his page. He's making a theological point, you see. Aquila was a native of Pontus. That's on the north coast of the Black Sea in modern-day Turkey. And even though he's Turkish, he found himself in Rome at the end of verse 2. But Claudius, the emperor, turned anti-Semitic and kicked all of the Romans out of Rome. And so Aquila and Priscilla find themselves in Corinth. And why do they find themselves in Corinth? Well, it is so that they are in just this place, so that when Paul walk, so that when Paul walks through the gates of the city, they're there, and the gospel HQ in Corinth is already to be established. Paul makes that uh, Luke makes that point. Do you see, middle of verse two, a native of Pontus recently. He's new in the city, and why is he new in the city? Because he needed to be there just at the right time, so that he was there to welcome. Paul, when he arrived. And so now Paul has a base of operation, so he sets about the work. Verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Paul knows that the gospel is first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So everywhere he goes, if there's a synagogue, he starts with his Jewish brothers before reaching out to his Gentile friends. And not only that, but verse 5, do you see Silas and Timothy, who he's left in Berea, while he's been in Athens and then in Corinth, they've been revisiting lots of the other churches in Macedonia. And we know from two Corinthians that when they turn up, they bring a, a, a gift of money. And it means that Paul no longer needs to wear his apron making tents in the day and um, preaching in the evenings. He can go full time in the work. Do you see, Paul was occupied with the words. That's Paul's view of ministry. To be in ministry is to be occupied with the words. 
Alistair, your job of, as pastor of Fernie Hill Evangelical Church, it has got so many things encapsulated into it, but the core business, the way you serve these people the absolute best is to be occupied with the words. Because God does his work through his words. By his spirit amongst his people for his glory. Paul was occupied with the word. And he testified to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. Jesus plans ahead. It's written all over the beginning of this story in Acts 18. He moves his pieces around the board. In order that Aquila and Priscilla will be in just the place to welcome Paul when he arrives. So the gospel can get going. And as we already saw from um, Andrew's Dingbat World Tour. It's very easy to perceive that in what's happening here today, isn't it? Two people meet in Austria, travel around lots of the world, do some training in other bits of the city, and at just the right time, Fernie Hill calls Alistair and Sabina to come alongside to work. How exciting is that? To see the sovereign hand of God moving his pieces around the board in order to bring glory to his son and strength. To his church. Jesus plans ahead. What a great truth that we can rest all of our lives upon. Point number two Jesus works next door. Jesus works next door. And so, verse six, he's been reasoning in the synagogue. And the Puritans had this great phrase the sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. So as Jesus preach, as Paul preaches Jesus and the fact that he is the Christ, some people's hearts are melted and they turn in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus. Other people's hearts become incalcitrant and impenetrable. And rather than be melted, they're hardened to the point that they start to oppose Paul and they revile him. And so Paul takes on the mantle of Ezekiel, who shakes out his garments and says, I have been the faithful messenger. Your blood is on your own heads. I've been like the DL8. I've been like the DHL man. I've delivered the message. The reception is up to you. My hands are innocent. The blood is on your own heads. But this creates a major problem because the synagogue has been the base of gospel operations in Corinth. And so where are they going to go? What's he going to do? Street preaching? Tract ministry? Go and get a job in employment? Go back to tent making and perhaps talk to people who come to the shop? Not at all. Verse 7. It just so happens that Jesus has been working next door in the life of Titius Justus, a Roman pagan who started to trust in the Lord Jesus. Titius Justus has done well for himself. He's got quite a big house with a really nice atrium. And it would be a great place for Corinth Evangelical Church to start meeting now the gospel is, now the synagogue is closed. And not only that, verse 7, His house was next door to the synagogue. Isn't that amazing sovereignty? They don't even need to get an enterprise van in order to move the PA equipment. Paul will go on to say, won't he, in Romans, that one of the reasons that the door has been opened to the Gentiles is in order to make the Jews jealous. 
Well, how jealous are you going to be as a Corinthian Jew when you go to the synagogue and you hear shine Jesus shine blurting out of Titius Justice's house as Corinth Evangelical Church is in full swing? How jealous are you going to be when at the end of the synagogue you come heavily burdened by all of your sin and yet you see joyfully forgiven people gathered outside Titius Justice's house relating to each other as family? That's going to make the gospel look really good. And it's because Jesus works next door. He's all over his mission. He's sovereign over it. Verse 8, though something happens. Corinth Evangelical Church is in full swing. And suddenly everyone sits bolt upright in their chair and is really nervous because somebody's appeared at the back of church. Who's appeared at the back of church? Crispus has appeared at the back of church. And who's Crispus? Well, Crispus is the grand fromage from the synagogue. And this creates a massive problem. Everyone's worried. Did we put the wrong recycling bin out? Did somebody double park? Have we turned Shine Jesus Shine up too loud? But not at all. Crispus and his wife and the little Crispuses, they come in and they sit. Well, they have to sit on the front row because then as now, the only place in the evangelical church there's ever seats is on the front row. Incredible things happen. They sit and they listen. Mrs. Crispus looks really encouraged. And the little Crispuses love Sunday school and they love coming back and telling their parents about the little craft that they made which demonstrates some tangential point of the story that they were being told. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. I love to think that after Crispus was baptized, he was called soggy, yes, because he was now wet from head to toe. <laughs> but isn't that incredibly encouraging that Jesus works next door? Isn't that the thing that we've got to have at the very core of our being, the suspicion that we've got to foster? That Jesus is working in the away team dressing room, not only the home team dressing room. That all around this community, let's have a real hope and a real understanding and a real trust that Jesus just might be at work behind this front door and that front door. You are the most important person that most of your friends and family know. And why are you the most important person? Because you're the only one that will tell them about Jesus. And telling them about Jesus is the only way they will have any hope of having eternal life forever. And so as we go out and as we live and as we learn and as we grow and as we share, let's have the heartfelt understanding that Jesus is at work. And he's even at work next door. Moving on, Jesus stands beside verses 9 to 11. Look at it with me. You've got to admit that things in Corinth have gone really, really well. <coughs> People are converted. The church is established. Great things are happening. And for Paul, this must be very unnerving because he's been here before. The gospel comes. It takes root. And then what happens? There's a riot. Then what happens? There's a flogging or a stoning or an imprisonment. And so the fact that it's going well must cause Paul some sleepless nights. Well, one such night, Jesus is very kind to him because he appears in a vision 
Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Four things Jesus promises Paul as he continues mission. Promises him that he must persevere. Do you see he says it twice? Go on speaking, do not be silent. Persevere in the work. I'm present with you, verse 10. For I am with you. I'm in your corner. I'm working through you. I'm providing for you. I'm empowering you to do the work that I've called you to do. Protection. And no one will attack you to harm you. That's been the problem all the way. When the gospel's taken root, people have attacked Paul to harm him. But nobody can touch Paul in this situation. And prospering. For I have many in this city who are my people. Many people in Corinth who through your ministry will be called to belong to me. What an amazing thing. Just when Paul feels weak and afraid. Jesus comes alongside. And gives him these promises. And I know what we're thinking. If I fell asleep tonight and Jesus himself gave me those promises, I'd probably be a bit more on the front foot evangelistically. The truth is he has. He tells us not to be afraid repeatedly. He tells us that he's with us even to the very end of the age. He commands us to keep on speaking and to make disciples. He says, not one hair on your head will fall to the ground except for my sovereign will. And he says there's many people, a whole world of people, people from every tribe and tongue and nation that on the last day will gather before the throne of grace, singing praise to me. And so you, as you go about your work, persevere in it, know God's presence, trust God's protection, and trust that he's at work and will prosper his word as it goes forth from people's lives into people's lives verse 11 he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of god among them well wouldn't you wouldn't you if you had that kind of guarantee and you do so you should and you must coming into lunch with this then jesus sits above jesus sits above the fourth thing that will make you really suspicious as you do ministry together But what Jesus must be up to is what happens at the very end of this episode. There's a new sheriff in town. His name is Gallio. He's a big cheese. He's related through marriage to Emperor Claudius, who we read about in um, verse 2. He becomes the proconsul of Achaia, which is a huge area. He's a really important guy. And the Jews, when he becomes the new sheriff in town, think, well, this is our chance to close down the gospel in Corinth. So they make a date and make an accusation and a tribunal is called. In verse 13, they say, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. That's the accusation. And verse 14, Paul is ready to go in and make a defense. And just as he's about to um, clear his throat and 
pipe up. Gallio puts his hands behind his head, his feet up on his desk, and he says, I can't be bothered. I won't hear this case. This case has nothing to do with me. This is your own little peculiar internal affair. I won't listen to it. End of verse 15, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And what that means is that now Corinth Evangelical Church has an imperial sanction. Because if Gallio says it's okay, it's okay. And let's be clear, it's not because Gallio has any interest in the gospel. It's because over and above the throne of Gallio is the throne of the King of Heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who so drives Gallio towards apathy in order that mission might continue in Corinth. It's a good thing to learn, isn't it? That we're not actually beholden to Holyrood or Edinburgh City Council. The zeitgeist of the communities in which we live are not ultimately ruling the day. Jesus rules and he reigns and he's in charge and he's sovereignly going about his mission in a way that he knows is best. Let me tell you, on the last day, when we meet Jesus himself and look back over all of our lives, the hard things, the difficult things, the obstructive things, the things that we wish didn't happen, on that day we'll look back and say, Jesus, you've done this perfectly. It didn't feel like it at the time, but looking back at the way you were weaving the rich tapestry for your glory through our lives, perfect a masterpiece that's what we see here in Corinth verse 17 though I don't know how it makes you feel the Jews have raised a mob they've gone to the tribunal they haven't got the verdict they wanted but the mob I mean the juices are flowing right the blood is pumping they want to fight somebody they want to hurt something and so they turn on Sosthenes You've got to feel sorry for Sosthenes, don't you? The only reason he's the leader of the synagogue is because Crispus was a defector. And they beat him in front of the tribunal and Gallio doesn't move his position. He paid no attention at all. And so as we leave this event in Acts and the camera pans out, Corinth Evangelical Church can continue. The Jewish plans for hindrance have been thwarted. Gallio is apathetic. And Sosthenes is on the steps of the tribunal, bleeding and hurt. And I know what you're thinking, because it's what I'm thinking. What happened to Sosthenes? We know what happened to Sosthenes. Because about seven years later, Paul will write a letter to Corinth Evangelical Church. And this is how he starts. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And our brother, Sosthenes. Turns out Crispus wasn't the only defector from the synagogue in Corinth. It turns out that Sosthenes followed suit, and I like to think it happened like this. There's Sosthenes on the steps of the tribunal, bleeding and hurt, and one of the Christians goes across and says, Let me take you home. I've got some bandages in the cupboard, and I can probably find a terrible coffee in a styrofoam cup and some rich tea biscuits, and we can talk about it. And from that moment, Faith was sown in Sosthenes' life to the point that in seven years he co-writes 1 Corinthians with the Apostle Paul. So I don't know how that makes you feel as we've been in Acts 18 together. Here's my hope. 
that you'll go from here super suspicious about all that Jesus might be up to in your life for his glory, in the life of your church for his glory. Let me pray. Father God, you're so good and kind and sovereign and gracious, so present, so near, so loving. You're a shield and a fortress. And we want to say that it's a joy to know you through your son, the Lord Jesus, today. And we not only want to know you, we want to be useful in your hand. And we want to declare openly that you are at work. And we long to be involved. So, Father, empower us by your spirit. Transform us from the inside out. And, Father, please continue to glorify yourself through us as we live for you and speak for you and long to be more and more conformed into your image. So take us and change us, bless us and renew us and knit us together in the gospel, we pray, for Jesus' glory alone.